All right, welcome back. One more time in the regular season <laughs> to the Dungeon of Doom. Uh, I'm Kyle Mikey, Lions beat writer for MLive, joined as always by Ben Raven. We are high above Ford Field just a couple hours after the Lions took care of the Vikings, 30-20 to 20 in the regular season finale. Then uh, the, the late games uh, just went final in the last few minutes uh, as of this recording. Lions-Rams in the first round of the playoffs. We'll, we'll get into Lions-Vikings, but man, this just like we're all buzzing up here in the press box with the, with the prospects of seeing, you know, Lions-Rams, Stafford coming back to Detroit for the first time since the trade. Um, that he requested out of Detroit, obviously all-time quarterback and all every way that matters uh, during his years here, but didn't have a division title, didn't have a uh, home playoff game, never won a playoff game, and now he's coming back to Detroit to play his first playoff game at Ford Field in blue and yellow while Jared Goff goes up against the the, the head coach that gave up on him. Ben, I, I am literally <laughs> like shaking with excitement for this game. I am too. I, it might be the Buddy's Pizza Lomas Brown gave me before the game, but I have the meat sweats thinking about this game, man. The football <laughs> gods delivered. The script writers delivered. Lions-Rams postseason. What an unbelievable thing to say. The last time Matthew Stafford was here was presumably when he did his farewell photo shoot from the 50-yard line here at Ford Field, and now he's coming back for a wild card meeting at Ford Field, the first playoff game in Ford Field's history that wasn't the Super Bowl in 2007. (laughs) And uh, couldn't ask for a better matchup, couldn't ask for better stories in every direction, because as you said, there's so much more than Matthew Stafford that connects these two teams. I mean, Jared Goff was pissed. Let's let's be real. And he's not going to say that this week. He's going to say he's going to he's going to walk the walk and how great Sean McVay is and was. And he left on good terms. Uh, That's revisionist history. (laughs) Jared Goff was not happy with the way he was unceremoniously given up on uh, in L.A. He was the most turnover prone quarterback turnover prone player in the league his last two years there. I mean, it, it wasn't working well. The Rams were built to win right away. Stafford was asking out of Detroit. McVay viewed Stafford as a massive upgrade over Goff. And if you need any more evidence to cut through the bullshit that you hear from coaches about how great both quarterbacks are, look at the the three draft picks the Rams gave Detroit uh, to convince them to take Goff off their hands, two of which were in the first round. And the Lions, I mean, they, they have used that trade to weaponize this rebuild with Jameer Gibbs, Sam Laporta, uh, Jamison Williams, Afetu uh, Malafanwu, who's played some great ball down the stretch. And by the way, you have Jared Goff playing at an incredible level, leading a top five offense each of the last two years. And by the way, Ben, we're staring at a, a banner in the rafters yeah. as we speak <laughs> that Stafford can never win. It, it has just been a remarkable turnaround for Goff. They use the draft capital um, to their immense advantage. And the Lions have gone from worst to first in the division three years because of it are now hosting Matthew Stafford in the first round of the playoffs because of it. It really is just a wild, wild turn of events. You mentioned script writers. I don't think you could have scripted this. <laughs> it's it's looking back on it. I mean, it's one of the greatest win-win trades in NFL history because you know, everything you just said is true about the Lions. First division title in 30 years. First North title. Hosting a playoff game. But guess what Matthew Stafford has added to his hand? He's added a Super Bowl ring to his hand. And that was just two years ago. The Rams had that disastrous season last season. Stafford came back and he looked like Matthew freaking Stafford, if not one of the best versions of himself to put this college all-star team featuring Cooper Cup (laughs) and Aaron Donald into the postseason after a brutal year. I mean, this was a lottery team in most people's minds entering the year. And here they are, Matthew Stafford entering the MVP conversation. And he gets a chance. I mean, this is... It's going to be the most passive-aggressive quarterback quote week of all time. 
from both sides of it. I mean, we are going to get nothing out of golf this week. I will guarantee that. But I am super fascinating to hear what Dan Campbell has to say because the man cannot lie. (laughs) (laughs) It's a juicy matchup. We'll be back uh, midweek with a mailbag and and we're going to bring in a a special guest. Um, I I hope anyway, the request is already out. But but no, not not Matthew Stafford. It's not. I can tell you right now, it's not going to be Kelly Stafford either. Um, <laughs> she's gonna be busy with her own podcast, I, oh, I presume. <laughs> um, no, no comment on that one. Um, but no, we'll be back with a more in depth look at the Lions Rams matchup and Matthew Stafford in particular later in the week. For now, Ben, we got a 30 to 20 win from Detroit. Mm-hmm. You know, Dan Campbell said going into this game against Minnesota, uh, it was important to win, it was important to give the the, the team the best shot shot it could at the number two seed it's crazy to think they would be the number two seed right now if that two-point play had been correctly officiated last week in dallas of course it wasn't um uh, it affected the lions i mean they're, they're gonna have a, a postseason game taken away from detroit mm-hmm. if they win in the wild card round and that's uh it's wild and, and disappointing um but they did go out and they did win this game and i i think they showed they still have momentum. They have a lot of good vibes going, going into the postseason. They're, I mean, they're obviously sharp, and you, you knew they would be after what happened in Dallas. It did come at an immense cost with the injury to Sam Laporta. And the initial, again, this is going out, we're recording this just hours after the game, but the initial MRI medical um, analysis is that he has a hyperextended knee, a bone bruise that spells Sam Laporta not playing in at least the first round of the playoffs, maybe beyond that. Um, so they win the game, Ben. They they achieved their goals. Obviously, didn't get the number two seed, but there's a lot to feel good about. In victory, they got their twelfth win of the season, which is the team record. They, these things are important to mm-hmm. Detroit and important to Dan Campbell, who has been through these kinds of situations before in New Orleans. But it came at a cost, and you really have to wonder what the loss of Sam Laporta will mean for this team. Yeah, it absolutely does. I, I'm really curious to see how they explore that. I mean, they've kind of been taking the slow developmental route with James Mitchell. Brock Wright did not play again for the second week in a row here. I've seen some speculation out there, but like, I'm curious to see if they kick the tires on Zach Ertz. He said he was waiting out to play for a contender. I mean, all of a sudden there's a pretty big open spot in that lineup. I know it's hard to add guys to the lineup, but like, while this feels like best case scenario on Laporta's knee injury, like it's very, very, very hard to picture him playing this weekend. And it's going to be hard to get him in the divisional round because that's a serious injury. I think you guys saw the replay. Anybody watching at home saw how nasty that knee looked. So like, that's what I mean when I say best case scenario, like disaster. And I mean, the other one that we can't overlook is Khalif Raymond. And that one looked potentially even worse. I mean, the stuff this guy does as a receiver, the spark he brings as a returner, you saw it today. He came so close to breaking two or three punt returns today. He's an all pro in that department. It looks like he's, I mean, we, we haven't got an update on Raymond, but that looked bad. I mean, he was not able to put any weight on that was down for a long time. So yeah, the win today, the shot to keep the window open to the two seed came with a hefty price. The NFL's best rookie tight end in history. It's, um, Disappointing, obviously, and I think Dan Campbell might take some criticism from fans. I'm I'm sure I'll hear it on the radio. I might drive into work <laughs> on Monday morning, um, criticizing Campbell for playing starters. But that that feels to me, Ben, like low hanging fruit, mm-hmm. like a like an argument that's not really that thought out. If you want to sit Jared Goff because of the importance of the quarterback position, then I understand that. If you have a starter like say Jamison Williams, who like if today was a playoff game, he might have played. Right. 
Um, but you want to proceed cautiously. I understand that too. But you only have 53 guys on NFL roster. This isn't college. You don't have a three deep. Yeah. (laughs) And like in Sam Laporta's case, they also have Brock Wright out because of injury. So they only had two tight ends dressed. I mean, you heard Dan Skipper. He he reported as eligible and basically lined up at tight end or something effective to that eight different times. Like they they were trying to to take away from Laporta's usual workload. You also saw with Amon Ross St. Brown, like he had seven early catches for 144 yards. They try to get him off the field after that, which which meant you're playing somebody else in this case, Khalif Raymond, and then Khalif Raymond gets hurt. So I think that's the, that's the defense of Dan Campbell. And I, I understand it. I think if you look at down there at a game with low stakes and you've got Sam Laporta, right? Writhing on the field and knee pain. It's easy to say, Oh, he shouldn't be out there. He's so good. But like, who else are you going to play there? Like it's a difficult thing in the NFL and they did what they could. I I have no blame for Dan Campbell. Like teams have legitimate, pros and con arguments all the time about do you play guys or do you sit guys? And some teams play them and some guys, some teams sit them. And there's, I think ultimately like playing your guys is the best path forward. I, you, how many times have you seen a team rest a bunch of guys and then come out and lay an egg in the postseason? You, you see it all the time, but you obviously take on the injury risk by doing something like that. Uh, and today the Lions paid the price. Yeah. I mean, they were clear from the beginning. They wanted to leave that window to the two seat open. The Eagles got their butts kicked today. So that when it was open, but the Cowboys took care of business. But yeah, it's just, and I think being around the guys in that locker room, hearing from them, I think they liked that they were going to go out there and go for the freaking win today. I think they like playing for a coach that's that open and honest with them. I mean, they knew that from Monday. I mean, Aiden Hutchinson was saying people were texting him all week, you sitting, you sitting. And he's just like, no way, man. Just so uh, I, I think that. That's knowing your roster. That's knowing who Dan Campbell is. Yeah, it's low-hanging fruit, and I get why it's low-hanging fruit. And I mean, if you want to shake your fist at it, go for it. But, like, those starters playing today, giving them every chance to get to get another home game potentially in the playoffs, that was what that was important for the Lions today. It might not have mattered to people on the outside looking in, but leaving that window cracked was very important to them. I think it fits with Dan Campbell's mindset. I'm just not surprised by it. And he he said after the game that there are situations, you know, every year, like every year is different. There are situations where you might rest guys. Uh, you might rest a Jared Goff if he's going through injury or some other circumstances happening. Like he's an open-minded guy. He just felt like with this team, with where it was coming off a controversial loss right. in Dallas, still having something to play for this week. It's still a relatively young team. I, you know, the, maybe the fear of letting off the gas and what that might mean in terms of, you know, Pressing back down on the gas next week. Like there's a lot of unknowns with that. So um, that's, that's where he landed on the argument. Um, It cost them with Laporta, but you also had great games from a guy like Amon Ross St. Brown, who, you know, he had the, he had the bad taste in his mouth after what happened in Dallas when he caught what should have been the game winning touchdown. Um, Got snubbed for the pro bowl this week, said he was hot. He told me he was pissed. Um, Comes out here, seven catches, 144 yards, uh, including a 70-yard touchdown uh, that really put this game on ice in the in the fourth quarter. Ben, you caught up with Amon Ra in the locker room. Sounds like he was still pissed about the Pro Bowl thing. Uh, if we learned anything from the draft, don't make Amon Ra St. Brown angry. Uh, that's that's where he's at right now, going into the playoffs. And I know he was also angry with with um, being stepped on by a yeah. by an opponent. So, what did Amon Ra? Uh, have to say to you in the locker room. Yeah, as Antoine Randall all said, gee whiz, this guy does not need any more chips on his shoulder. But yeah, he said, I mean, he looked us straight in the face and he was just like, I don't know how many receivers have had 1,500 yards and 10 touchdowns who didn't make the Pro Bowl. I guess I'm going to have to go home and do my own research. <laughs> my quick research is just Isaac Bruce in 1995. So he's oh, got a pretty, wow. pretty 
pretty strong gripe. That I was didn't a... realize the bar. Like, like, listen, like he's obviously a snub. He's a great yeah. player, but when you look at the list of four guys who made it, and I don't have it in front of me, and I don't want to look like, look like an idiot for like missing a guy. So it's P- right, it's Puka, Puka. CD Lamb, yep. Justin Jefferson, and um, AJ Brown. AJ Brown. Yep. Yeah. Yep. There it is. I think I think those are the four guys. Like, like those are those are four great players. So yeah, he was snubbed, but also they 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 chose four great players. Um, but I didn't realize the historical nature of what he's done, and also not being a Pro Bowl. Yeah, uh, Henri. Yeah, and he was uh, pretty open about the old Harrison Phillips three hundred and seven pound knee to his gut or ribs yeah. there too. I mean, he said, "I don't know what ninety seven was on. That was intentional. It is what it is. Playing football, but yeah, stop pissing this guy off. I mean, my God, that that seventy yard touchdown I think was two snaps after he got that knee to the chest and came out at for one play. I mean, that's this guy." He's unbelievable, man. I mean, stop giving him reasons to be pissed off because he is like, he he is the, one of those guys that is able to use that kind of stuff and actually translate it to the field and results and not just distracting emotional stuff. Like this yeah. is real. You you saw who this guy's dad is. Oh, we're drinking water now. We're not <laughs> drinking sweat. Like this this kind of stuff fuels this guy, and I think he really is one of those buy into that kind of stuff. Just stop pissing this guy off. <laughs> Now that I've shook the cobwebs out of my brain, um, I'm still yeah. <laughs> Mike. Mike Evans was voted to the Pro there. Bowl, not Justin Jefferson. I would have taken Amon Ra over Mike Evans. A thousand but, yards in eight games. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> he's just different, mm-hmm. and that's a cliche that phrase. But um, I've been around this team since 2013, <laughs> and every once in a while, a guy comes along like Calvin Johnson, who like mentally is built different. As an athlete, he's just different. Rises to the occasion every time. Is just is it moves at a different level than all these other top athletes on the field at the same time. And Amon Ra has a different skill set, right? Like he's not he's never going to be this downfield catch a pass and triple coverage kind of guy that Kelvin was. Kelvin's going to be a Sports Center star for all of time. But yeah. like, so Amon Ra is not that kind of guy. But he is unbelievable at what he does. And I mean, I think he has triple the targets of any other receiver in Detroit this year. Defenses know exactly where Jerry Goff wants to go with the football. And week in and week out and week in and week out, this guy delivers. I mean, like the Vikings have one of the best defenses in the whole league. Top top three, top four defense in the league. And man, seven catches on 10 targets, 144 yards. And he continues to do it on third down, yeah. even though everyone knows where Jerry Goff's going with the football. In crunch time, like last week, like everyone knows Jerry Goff wants to throw to Amon Ra in that situation in Dallas at the end of the game. And he still, he still scores. Mm-hmm. And this week, um, you know, you're up by a touchdown. You're trying to put on ice to keep this thing loose going into the the postseason. And uh, it's Amon Ra for a 70 yard touchdown, the longest pass by the Lions this season. The guy, uh, he he's just unbelievable. And it, it, like, just in terms of him being different. Yeah. He reminds me of Calvin. Like he does. He's just, his IQ, his, he's just wired differently and he continues to deliver. No, he's like all those like cliche things that you can say, but like true and not cliche at the same time. And a fun fact about that 70 yard touchdown is he said all week he was on the inside and Josh Reynolds was lined up in his spot on that play. As they were running out on the field, they say, swap it, swap it, swap it. So they're finding ways to make him a downfield threat They're because they know he can get open. Like he's not a burner. He's not a monster or a Megatron type guy, but they know this guy has the ability to get open. Cause like you said, Laporte is out of this game. On third down, you know where the ball is going. You know if it's not a second and 11 trap run it's or a third and 11 run, it's going to St. Brown most of the time. And he's just – the connection him and Jared Goff have is has is truly, truly special. 
And it's going to be pretty fun to see Stafford and Puka and Cup on one side, special connections, and then St. Brown and Goff on the other. Because, I mean, those are third-down killers. These are not monster-wide receivers. These are crafty, gritty, I hate using that word, <laughs> just tough gamers, man. He's he's so special. He's special. 1,500 yards, 10 touchdowns, joined Herman Moore on, like, several team records as the only receiver to do stuff in franchise history. Just a very special player and uh he just keeps finding new chips on his shoulder, man. <laughs> What's going on, everyone? Ben Raven with MLive's Detroit Lions Beat here. Just want to point in the direction of MLive's new Dungeon of Doom Insider Tech Service. Sign up now for a 14-day free trial. And then after that, it's only $4.99 a month to text with myself, to text with Kyle Monkey, and to text with Corey Woods. And not only are you going to get updates and analysis from us with some one-on-one individual conversations on the side, but you're going to be on the front line to be featured on MLive's Dungeon of Doom podcast when we come calling for mailbag questions. Once again, check out joinsubtext.com slash Dungeon of Doom. 14-day free trial, $4.99 after that. Uh, ben, you mentioned downfield targets. I want to talk about a different downfield target. Dan Skipper. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> How many times did I turn to you in the press box and say, I love this bleep? <laughs> like, I was just so tickled by the greeting that, that Dan Skipper got at Ford Field. Obviously, uh, he's probably the one sixth lineman in the whole league. You don't even have to introduce at this point. Like, yes. he was at the center of the controversy in Dallas. Uh, he's the guy who the officials were looking at, thinking he was reporting on that two-point play when it was actually Taylor Decker. They threw the flag. It was wiped off. We all, we all know how the, yeah. the, the story. <laughs> Skipper was the guy they were looking at, and he reports as eligible a lot, and it kind of fooled the, the officials. I think it was his hand gestures when he was signaling for the offensive formation. But Skipper was pissed this week um he saw the memo the league sent out uh, to all 32 teams where it's like here's what not to do basically when it comes to an offensive lineman reporting and uh, reporting as an eligible receiver while putting a yellow circle around dan skip uh, around dan skipper and dan skipper's not reporting yeah. it's taylor decker it's it's a it's a it's trash it's really a wild thing that we've already unpacked we don't have to go there um uh, but <laughs> it was so funny yes. to see the first time that he reported as eligible in this game and the crowd went wild and then he reported as eligible again and the crowd <laughs> went wild some of the loudest cheers of yeah. the whole game um and he reported as eligible eight times in this game in part because they, they you know the lions had some depth issues uh, at tight end and so he was reporting to play that effectively that position and then in the third quarter <laughs> the man runs a route and he catches a pass. And then I look around the stands and every person is on their feet. Like he got a standing ovation. Dan freaking Skipper, a guy who has had like 20 contracts yeah. in the NFL, never made an opening day roster, has spent his life at the bottom of the NFL, which is a real meat grind to make a living that way. You're bouncing from city to city. You have no security up from a practice squad, down, cut, whatever. And now this guy is being serenaded in Detroit. It's really, a for me, it's just a... Listen, he got one pass for four yards and was otherwise just a blocker. Like it's not super consequential, but in terms of what we're seeing this 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 year with the fan support, fans going wild. How many times? Like I've heard, uh, I've been on a flight to a road city and heard singing on the plane. Oh, yeah. Like yeah. <laughs> it, like it's just wild to see the like how much the Lions' success has unlocked yeah. this super fandom in Detroit, and to see 
that come together on the day when they raise a banner into the rafters uh, in the last day of the season and a double-digit win um, to see the sixth offensive lineman at the center of national controversy uh, being serenaded. I I just I love that. It, yeah. It's just a fun storyline. It is. And Dan Skipper, compared to how he was last week in the locker room in Dallas, was an absolute joy in the locker room this week. I forget who it was. Asked him a question. He's like, man, those defenders come down hard on the ball. That happens fast, man. But no, nah, he... He absolutely loved it. Him and Decker both said that the even the head official today, mm-hmm. Brad Rogers, was having some fun with him, was not making fun of the situation, but being lighthearted about it. Because yeah. what can you do? That poor officiating crew was getting booed when they announced the Lions had won yeah. the toss to start the game. But no, just uh... – I asked Taylor Decker about that, by the way, because <laughs> yeah. he said the same thing to me, and I followed up with um, – so what kind of jokes? Like, I really wanted to know. <laughs> Taylor told me it'd be something like like, like Skipper would come in and report as eligible, and, the, and uh, Brad Rogers, the the head official, would be like, so uh, anyone else reporting? <laughs> <laughs> so good, man. No, it's so good. And just, yeah, they both were like, yes, we saw all the billboards around town. We absolutely yeah. loved them. Detroit's got our backs. But just – just like you said, I mean, this year has kind of confirmed everything we already knew about this desperately hungry fan base from Kansas City to this moment here today and whatever the heck next week is going to be to open the playoffs. I mean, it has been a truly joyous season to watch this fan base kind of live this memorable season. And Dan Skipper today, man, like you said, I mean, shoot, it was a couple snaps after the Laporta injury. There's a hush in this building. Number 70 reporting is eligible. And bam, <laughs> one of the loudest pops of the year I've heard. I mean, just great work by everyone. The Lions social media team deserves a shout out yeah. for several beautifully snarky posts today. <laughs> Dan Skipper entering the building and Taylor Decker <laughs> quote tweeting it with, that's not me. So just, just great stuff all around. And Nice to see Skipper have a smile on his face after such a miserable locker room experience last week because that guy, like you said, freaking meat grinder, man. Everybody remembers the hard knock scene. Go to his Wikipedia page and it's about freaking 40 pages deep on teams. So just cool, cool, cool moment today and a proper reaction. And nice to hear about the officials, too. They said it was refreshing to feel like they were dealing with humans today. (laughs) <laughs> yeah that's what that was skipper's yeah. quote I was, yeah. actually you just stole my thunder that's gonna follow up with you know skipper it was funny because like like we're not we're not exaggerating though the, it was a thunderous applause every time he reported is eligible and skipper said after the game that like uh that jared goff would be in the huddle um because he obviously he's just reported as eligible and then they huddle up and so while the the official is making the announcement to the stadium they're huddling trying to get the play call off and Jared Goff would just like stop the play call just to like savor the moment a little bit. And he'd look right at Skipper <laughs> and then carry on. It's, it's, uh, it's beautiful. By the way, I asked Jared Goff too about that play. And he said that Skipper, he wasn't in the route progression. <laughs> um, I mean, he was, but he was like, it was like only if they got a certain coverage, was he going there? Cause then he'd be open, which he very much was. Um, that play wasn't really designed to go to Skipper. It just kind of worked out that way, which is very poetic. Uh, on the, the subject of Jared Goff, I just, I'd be remiss if we had talked about him briefly before moving over to the defense. It was a uh, somewhat quietly like brilliant day from Goff. Um, maybe had one pass that could have been picked which wasn't otherwise extremely clean football, 23 of 32 passing, 320 yards, two touchdowns, uh, 124.5 passer rating. It was one of his best games of the year. And by the way, sacks only one time. Yeah. I didn't think the run blocking was especially good. I think we saw, yeah, 70 yards from the backs, which is, you know, it's off their pace. Mm-hmm. But in terms of the pass blocking against a really good, really aggressive defense, 
they really held up well, gave Goff the 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 comfort, the pocket, the clean pocket that he needs to thrive, and he really had a, a, a brilliant game. Yeah, and that's not easy against this defense. As you said, that's not easy against how Brian Flores attacks you because first and second down, he's sending hell and fire at you. On third down, he's dropping everyone back into coverage and making you beat them. But I just thought Jared Goff's eyes today, his pocket presence, his timing, if he plays – Anywhere near this next week, this is how the Lions win a playoff game. This is how the Lions make some noise. Because when this this offense was playing in the first half, like they wanted the second half off. Because, I mean, it was absolutely cruising. And it just, I mean, what more can you say? Goff's connection with St. Brown. He knows it's special. He feeds it. Most of his yardage came with St. Brown today. And it's just, like I said, just, it was a, that's like near picture perfect quarterback play, especially in this system, especially when the rushing attack is not as dependable as it usually is. I mean, on a day that came in with both backs, had a chance of 1,000 yards on the season, eighth or ninth time in NFL history. I mean, it was all about golf and the passing attack. And just if he plays like that, this team's got a chance to go far. It's going to be real fascinating to see how he plays against McFay and the Rams. We, we've already seen it once before uh, in L.A. Uh, what was it? Two, yeah, two years ago, right? In 2021. Yeah, year, yeah. yeah, exactly. I mean, they had like... It, they were so overmatched personnel-wise, though. That was the game where they faked two punts. I think yeah, they went for like right. a million <laughs> fourth downs, like just, and they hung yeah. for a minute because of those kinds of plays. I think they, I think they even onside to kicked if, if I remember right. Yeah, I think um, that's sounding right. But this will be a obviously more compelling game from a Lions perspective, and it's going to be real fascinating to see. I mean, golf when he played in LA this year against the Chargers, not even the Rams. Like yeah. I think it was one of his best games of the year. Went toe-to-toe with Justin Herbert in that one. So uh, I think we're going to get the best of Jerry Goff in this game. Yeah, they're going to – I mean, I'm curious to see how much the offensive plan changes or evolves or how cute Ben Johnson and them get with it because, as we've said before, nobody knows Jared Goff better than Sean McVay. And that that is something to be wary of this weekend because, I mean – how that relationship ended, the time they spent together, McVeigh knows how to make him uncomfortable. And it's on that supporting cast. It's on that offensive line. It's on golf to just keep him upright and in that pocket because you saw what happens today. We're running a little low on time, but I did want to talk about the defense. I thought they played really well. I don't think they gave up a touchdown until, what, like midway through the third quarter or so. Um, yeah. You know, we talked about Amon Rob being on a heater. How about Aiden Hutchinson? How about Aiden freaking Hutchinson? Yeah. He has been a monster in terms of pressure all year. Uh, I think he finished like second or third in the league in total pressures. Um, the conversion to takedowns to sacks hasn't always been there, and some you know we've talked about it. Sometimes that that, you know, that happens when you're getting chipped and double teamed, to triple teamed, whatever. Like Aiden Hutchinson does. Um, but the last two weeks. Five sacks, yeah, right? Yeah. 11 and a half on the season. He had another tackle for loss on a reverse. Uh, I mean, that was a big play, too. A 12-yard loss um, set up its second 30 or something like that. Yeah, um, <laughs> and forced a field goal. That was early in the game, too. And Minnesota was, like, uh, near the goal line. So that, that, was a, that was a huge play by Hutch as well. Um, he's been unblockable the last two mm-hmm. weeks going to the playoffs. Yeah, five quarterback hits today. Two sacks, almost three. They switched to that uh, tackle on Jefferson on the trick play attempt to a tackle for loss for those keeping track at home. But with all that talk about sacks, he finished his year with 10 and a half sacks, double digits. And after today, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if he took over second and pressures created, but just a ferocious day for the pass rush. I mean, it wasn't just the secondary and the linebackers creating pressure today. It was the defensive line. You saw Romeo Quara getting home. I thought Josh Pascal played an awesome game today he stayed home on a play action look yeah i would just yeah. that is for a guy that 
one of the main things we talk about him is inside outside versatility. That looked like a fundamental edge defender on that play. He's not going to be the pin the ear back pass rusher, like a lot of edge defenders, especially second round picks and stuff like that. But the discipline, the comfort he's showing in this defense and any help they can get on the defensive line today. Cause Aline McNeil didn't have the numbers, had a quarterback hit, couple pressures, nice run stop, but like anything you can do to get eyeballs off of Hutchinson and onto somebody else is going to free him up. And you saw that today because I think they had double digit quarterback hits. I I can't believe we're like 28 minutes into this and we haven't talked about CJ Gardner Johnson. (laughs) He played his first game since week two. It's just a real, first of all, let's not get like lost in the weeds here. Him being on the field now when he was given a March timeline originally um, is insane behavior. It's mutant genes, as Dan Campbell said. Um, He put himself through a, just a torrid rehabilitation process uh, at his home in Florida. Sounds pretty sweet, by the way, he spent like 300 grand on his house to outfit it with like a field and everything. Um, Pretty crazy stuff. Uh, He has practiced the last few weeks, came back to a safety rotation. He wasn't very fond of uh, Opened this game on the bench. Played a lot of snaps, so I'll be curious to see what the snap count is like. Yeah. Um, and played pretty well, it seems. Um, I watched him pretty closely when he was out there. Um, didn't make a ton of plays, but he seemed fundamentally sound in the right spots to, you know, to make plays. And then very poetically, <laughs> end of the game, I think there's like a minute or two left. Uh, you know, the Vikings are on their last gasp in this game. Uh, and Gardner Johnson is there to pick off the Nick Mullins pass. A, b- a terrible pass, but a great play by uh, Gardner Johnson going to the ground picking off his first pass of the year in the final game of the year uh, and heading into the playoffs with a lot of momentum. Yeah, and Gardner Johnson, I mean, we saw it in training camp. We saw it in the first two games of the season. The energy he brings to the field, that it's different. Like there are, there's a difference between energetic, loud players and C.J. Gardner Johnson. It's just a different volume thing, and I think he is just a perfect foil to share the field with Malafonwu or Kirby Joseph, because I see a better version of Kirby Joseph when Gardner Johnson is on the field. There is something about that pairing that brings out the best in each other. And I mean, that's, it's they're field flippers. I mean, that is what they are. They're freaky field flippers. And when you throw in Malafonwu playing the way he's doing, getting pressure, being a run stopper, knocking away two passes. I think it was for Jefferson today. You, I mean, you saw who you saw who had the pressure on the, um, the camp Sutton pick, right? Yes, sir. Yep. <laughs> About <final. laughs> Of course. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, when Glenn, I'm, I'm very curious to see how they get over because I think the one aspect that they could really get after Stafford and the Rams is with those secondary blitzes by sending Brian branch out of the slot, by getting Melifon near the line of scrimmage and making them account for that extra guy, because those guys are showing a real knack for getting, on the, if they don't get a hand on the quarterback, they're at least forcing them up because Branch had the blitz that forced Mullins inside to get Hutchinson one of his two sacks on the day. And it's just, I hope Gardner Johnson settles down because this three-man safety rotation could be a very good thing for this defense because those are three different guys who seem to kind of feed off of each other. And Melifon was undis- – I mean, you cannot dispute what Melifon was doing right now. He has earned this playing time, and we'll see. I mean, Gardner Johnson gave it up for the fans, but he said, nah. They needed me. They needed my energy, not your y'all's energy today. And I think you saw that. <laughs> you talked about for the game. Yeah. yeah. What, what, what do you have to say? He was in an interesting mood. He was yeah. upbeat and stuff, but it was just like it was poetic. And he was very thankful that the Lions gave him a pregame introduction and stuff. He felt like that set the tone for the day. But yeah, he's he's a gamer. He wants to be out there for every snap, and he's not afraid to say that. <laughs> what you love, you love the attitude. Yeah. You have to take the baggage that comes with it. And him, yep. you know, saying I don't want to be an. A- 
his quote, not yeah, mine. His, I don't yeah, want to be an yeah. asshole, but like I should be. I, I didn't come <laughs> back from this injury to be in a rotation. No. Like that's flirting with the line of decency. Mm-hmm. Um, but he's a great player. He does bring attitude and edge. He's yes. an enforcer type, right? Like yes. you need that. This is a brutal game. This is a physical, violent game. You need guys to play with that. For as much as I love the roster of personalities they brought in and how like Panay Sewell is a is tough on the field, but he's a real sweetheart. Yes. Like, like the, I mean, there's so many guys like that. You need sometimes a guy who's going to go out there and enforce, not take bull from anyone. Yeah. And Gardner Johnson is that kind of guy. And I think, yeah, his playmaking ability speaks for itself. I mean, he's a tremendous player in this league, but um, the attitude he brings to the defense, I think, can bring an intangible benefit down the stretch. Absolutely. And this team is the best equipped team to deal with his craziness and quotes like that while you're focusing on the playoffs because nobody knows this guy better than Aaron Glenn and Dan Campbell from that time they spent in New Orleans when he was at his rawest, his youngest, his wildest. It's a fit. I wouldn't buy too much into those quotes. That's a gamer that wants to game. He came here to win a Super Bowl. He came here to get a big next contract and like, yeah, he was pissed off last week about that three-man rotation. But I do think what he saw today is like yeah. why it's a three-man rotation. Cause you had Kirby, you had Iffy, you had him all making plays, all making yeah. stops, all coming up in that fourth quarter that got a little sketchy for a second yeah. there. Cause Justin Jefferson's a superhero. You know, we've been asking all season, you know, the lines are paced by a really good offense. We've, we've just been asking just give us competent yeah. defensive football mm-hmm. and this team is going places. I know the Laporta injury might change the calculus a little bit, but don't look now, Ben, but the, the defense is playing competent and has been for several weeks. Mm-hmm. That's eight turnovers now, by the way, eight takeaways in the last three games. Malfano had a big uh, role in that, but so has the increase in pressure. Um, and Jack Campbell, yeah. who, you know, like has been slow coming compared to some of the, some of the other rookies like a Brian Branch or a, Sam Laporta, uh, but he's played some of his best ball down the stretch today. 12 tackles leading the team and at, at a second sack of the year. He was unblocked on the play, but I thought it was a very well-schemed blitz that he came in on and took out uh, Nick Mullins. Um, I, I think he's just playing some of his best ball down the stretch. No, he is, and he's comfort. He's back in that spot that he's comfortable with. They're not moving him around as much as they did earlier in the season. I mean, I get why they moved him around. He's Build is kind of a freak athlete that's built a lot better than a lot of rookie linebackers are when they come in. But yeah, you, I was just looking at it and I'm like, holy crap, we got to say something about Jack Campbell. So I'm glad you did. (laughs) Uh, Lions win 30 to 20. They are set to face the Los Angeles Rams in a highly anticipated uh, first round matchup in the playoffs. Um, Ben, I'm going to put you on the spot here. Lions have opened as a three and a half point favorite in this game. Who, who are you taking uh, in this matchup? The Detroit Lions are going to win this game. I, I think the Lions get a playoff win. I think they beat Matthew Stafford. I think they cover that spread. Not going to be a blowout, but I do think they win this game by a touchdown. Well, we'll dive into it more, obviously, as the week progresses, and we'll be all over it with the midweek podcast. But I agree with you. I, and the Laporta injury, like I really, we got to see how that plays out. He's such a significant part of what they do offensively, and this is still an offensive team despite how well – you know how, how much the defense has improved in recent weeks, so I I think we can't under, underestimate how that will affect the you know the different dimensions of the offense. But something that sticks with me that that Dan Campbell said it's not just a matter of okay James Mitchell is going to play or uh, Brock Wright's going to play or whatever happens at tight end. 
it's, it's it's much like last year when they traded away TJ Hawkinson. It wasn't just, okay, we're promoting this guy to play for him. It's what everyone else can do to absorb his impact in the offense. They averaged three more points per game last year after losing Hawkinson. I'm not saying that, you know, they're going to do that right, without reporting. Right. He's been great. <laughs> He's been better than Hawkinson ever was. Um, but they have Amon Ross St. Brown. They have Jamison Williams coming back. Josh Reynolds is playing some good ball. They have Jameer Gibbs can catch passes out of the backfield. There's a lot of places they can go in the passing game. Plus, th- this team still wants to run the football. Um, I still think they're going to score. The defense is playing better than ever. I think they have so much momentum on their side. And by the way, this house that we're in right now, the the, the roof might come off. Oh. Like it's, I'm really excited to see what the city's like this weekend, what yeah. the stadium is like when the game is played. It's going to be absolutely electric. I think that word is used so much, but you're going to feel the electricity in the air in this game. And I just think that that's going to be a massive advantage too for the Lions. I'm, I think I'm going to take Detroit in this game. I like it. You know, if the run defense can continue to do what they did all season, take away Kyron Williams, get pressure on Stafford, that's the key to success. The offense can take care of the rest. Ben, get some sleep tonight. It's going to be a, a long week. <laughs> but man, am I excited for the first home playoff game in Detroit in 30 freaking years. 